Okay, again tonight, um, let me remind you what we're, what we're doing uh, for some Sunday nights here. We'll, we'll take a two, oh, two-week break, I think, and then we'll come back to it. But we're, we're looking at uh, uh, when Jesus, you know, met with the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. We find it in Luke 24. And as he goes, they don't recognize who he is, and they tell him, there's some strange things that have happened around here. You didn't know about it. And he says, what strange things? And they tell him, and then he begins to, to take the, the scriptures. At that time, there was only the Old Testament, right? He begins to take the scriptures, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets. He goes through all the Old Testament with them, showing how everything happens that happened there in Jerusalem had to take place because it was fulfillment of the scriptures. And then later he meets that, that on that same trip journey, he, he meets the disciples and he explains this to them. And uh, you may recall Paul writing and talking about the, the Jews who are uh, in the synagogues reading the Old Testament. And they're reading it without the, the light in the eyes of Jesus. And he says they're, they're reading it it's like a veil is over their face. They're not seeing what it's really all about. And so we are we're looking at... Uh, uh, Christ in the Old Testament. Last week we looked at uh, him in the Old Testament in some very obvious ways. Prophecy is obviously, all, you know, the prophecies of his birth, the prophecy of his uh, crucifixion, the prophecy of, of his resurrection. We, we have a lot of that. We went through some of those. Um, we have also foreshadowing. We looked at some of the four things in the scripture that foreshadow that cause us to to see Jesus and, and uh, events that took place beforehand, which actually point us forward to looking towards him. Um, tonight, we're going to look at something else about it, but I wanted to uh, uh, just uh, encourage you that all of the Bible is, is truly about Jesus. Now, this is from Edmund Clowney. He says, the Bible is the greatest storybook not just because it's full of wonderful stories, but because it tells one great story, the story of Jesus. Uh, he goes on and he says, it is possible to know Bible stories and yet miss the Bible story. That's true. And, and maybe sometimes uh, when we're teaching children and we tell them sto Bible stories and stuff, we, we might really miss the point that this is really pointing us to Jesus, right? Um, he goes on and says, the Bible has a storyline. It traces an unfolding drama. The story follows the history of Israel, but it does not begin there, nor does it contain what you would expect in a national history. The narrative does not pay tribute to Israel. Rather, it regularly condemns Israel and justifies God's severest judgment. The story is God's story. It describes his work to rescue rebels from their folly, guilt, and ruin. And in his rescue operation, God always takes the initiative. He goes on, only God's revelation can build a story where the end is anticipated from the beginning and where the guiding principle is not chance or fate, but promise. Uh, the purpose of God from the beginning centers on his son. He quotes then from Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Things that were, uh, all things were created by him and for him. Um, one more little quote here. He says, the story of Jesus then does not begin 
with the fulfillment of the promise, but with the promise itself and with the acts of God that accompanied his word. And so we're continuing to see, and this is one, um, how uh, from the very beginning uh, we see Jesus. And so with that in mind, uh, first chapter, Genesis 1. We mentioned this uh, briefly in the sermon this morning, uh, some of these things, but I uh, want us to see it again tonight. You're going to a little more detail tonight. <clears throat> Genesis 1, uh, verse 26, verse 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let, him, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's interesting here that God creates man in his image. Okay? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, uh, theologians have often said that, that a, a lot of what that means, and, and no doubt it's true, a lot of what it means is that we're created uh, in the image of God in that we have the communicable attributes of God. Uh, wisdom, knowledge, even holiness, we're set apart from the rest of creation. Uh, justice, uh, love, and, and, and these other things, other communicable <coughs> attributes of God he shares with us that he doesn't share with the rest of creation. So in that sense, yes, there's an idea of us being created in the image of God. But the image of God really has a different, uh, I think a different idea about it here that is so important for us to know. And if we don't understand what it means to be in the image of God, then, then we're going to miss something really important for us throughout all of it. In those days, and um, in the Middle East, in places still today, you see a, a, a ruler, a dictator over his land. And everywhere you go in that, in that land, you'll see murals, pictures of that leader, right? You saw it in Russia with, you know, uh, Stalin and... Uh, it was got Lenin and all those guys. And you remember when we went into Iraq and all the places where there were the pictures of Saddam Hussein everywhere? Had it in World War II with Hitler as well, right? His picture, his image is everywhere. What's that mean? Ruler. It means there's ruler, but it means everywhere his image is, he is. He's there watching. He's in control. He's in control of all the land. Everywhere his image is. He's, he's ruling over it, right? Man is created in the image of God for what purpose? So that everywhere man is, it shows the rule of God. Not so that we elevate ourselves, but to elevate God as his image. And so this is the reason God creates man in his image, in his likeness, and right off the bat, after he says... Uh, in the intertrinitarian, I believe this is a, a, a discussion between Father and Son, possibly the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and here it goes, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Why is he creating man in his image? To rule, but not rule on their own behalfs, but rule on behalf of God. So that shows God is sovereign over all of his creation. Okay, with me? 
that, that clear as mud. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on here. God creates man in his image so that when he rules, it shows that God is really the one ruling, okay? not man. And so, uh, verse 27, God created man in his image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, uh, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God has created man, set him in this garden, um, this, this one uh, probably pretty large garden when you get the uh, diameters of it. Uh, it's, it probably includes the area that is we, we look at today, which is Israel, right? And what is man to do from that garden? Well, he's to rule and subdue it, but he's not to stay there, right? He's to go and fill all the earth. The image of God is in this one little place, but he's to go and fill all the earth with his image, okay? And rule over it. Well, we know what happens, right? Satan comes in, uh, it, it's interesting here, some of the language about uh, what man and, and woman are supposed to do is the same language that God uses uh, elsewhere when he's talking about the priest in the temple and their roles and what they are to do. And here, man and woman, uh, the man, created male and female, has been created by God to be his royal priest. And the earth is given to man to rule and subdue it for God's glory, to make the earth a place worthy of God's presence and worship. So we're to do, go and prepare this, this earth for that. So there's kind of a probationary period that's going on with man here. He says God takes him, puts him in the garden, and probation is said uh, the probationary period's got one rule, right? You're free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we know that Satan comes and tempts man at that point, and uh, man uh, succumbs to the temptation, uh, gives in, and uh, in doing that, he gives over to Satan the rule that he had been given by God. We're going to look at that in a little bit more in just a minute. But what happens to the image of God then in man? It becomes distorted. Yeah, it's distorted. You remember how in, in elementary school, or, or maybe uh, older for some of us, we, we, would, we would take uh, you know the little uh, school photos you get and somebody hand them out and you get mad at somebody you didn't necessarily like them all that much and you had their little school photo. Remember what you do, you take your pen out, mark a tooth out, you know, and <laughs> black out an eye, make some horns on them. What do you do? Distorting that. Yeah, you're distorting that image. And you look at it and that, that, that doesn't look like them at all, does it? What happens when man uh, disobeys God and rebels against him, that image is distorted. And so, when that happens, man's not able to take uh, the image of God and go out into all creation and rule and subdue it like he should. Instead, he has is, he is succumbed to the temptation. Uh, he's abrogated that authority. Uh, he's, he's not able to uh, adequately uh, represent God as his image in all the world. Uh, Satan is, seems to have won the battle at that point. And... Uh, and so he took the rule, uh, the rule, 
in, uh, in the world, and he's ruling over creation. Look, look with me in a couple passages here. Uh, John chapter 12. Verse 31. And, and just to see what he's calling Satan here, okay? Uh, John 12, 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Who's the prince of this world? He's Jesus calling a Satan the prince of this world. He's the one ruling it. John 14, verse 30. John 14, 30, just over a page or two. Um, I will not speak uh, with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. And he has no hold on me, and so on. He, again, he calls Satan the prince of of this world. John 16, verse 11. See it again. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Um, so Jesus is calling Satan the prince of this world. He is the one who is ruling this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 4, Paul is writing about Satan here, and he says, listen to what he calls him, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, uh, who is the image of God. Uh, Luke uh, 4, 6 is an interesting passage in regard to this, and it uh, hopefully will confirm more of what I was uh, saying about what happened in the garden when a man and woman uh, succumbed to the temptation of, of Satan. Luke 4, verse 6, this is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, remember? And, and the uh, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is, mirrors the temptation of Eve in the garden. He's tempting Jesus with the same things, the things that that uh, Eve fell to, and the things that the people of Israel were tempted with in the wilderness are the same things again. And so Satan comes uh, to Jesus here, and he's tempting him. And look with me in verse 6. And this is uh, Satan speaking to Jesus. And he says, uh, and this, at this point he takes him up to a high place, and he shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. How was it given to him? Adam gave it to him in the garden. Now he says, it's mine. I can give it back to you. All you gotta do is bow a knee and worship me. So, um, this whole idea of ruling and subduing uh, all of creation, um, it, it has been, which, for which man was created to do, has been abrogated and, and given to Satan in the garden. And now he's got it, and we see him called the, the god of this world and, and uh, the prince of this world. And, uh, and here, when he's tempting Jesus, saying, it was given to me, uh, that all the, uh, that authority is mine. 
Well, all this is looking forward to another one who's going to come. Um, the word that we have for image, icon. Right? Icon. And um, it is used of Jesus. Um, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15, speaking of Jesus, I remember we're created in the image of God, yet Jesus comes, takes on human flesh. Verse, uh, Colossians 1, 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he, he goes on. Um, Hebrews. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, that's Hebrews 1 uh, verse 4, excuse me, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus comes as the true image of God, right? Not tainted, not uh, um, changed in any way, not marred in any way like we are because of sin. Because he came as, as the high priest who suffered every way, even as we are, and yet without flesh. Right? I mean, without sin, right? He was tempted in every way, even as we are. And yet, he's without sin. He came and he took on human flesh. John 1.14. The, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among men. Uh, Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Do you remember that passage where... Um, let me read it because I'm sure I'll mess it up if I try to quote it. Philippians 2. <clears throat> Verses 6 and 7. I'll go back to verse 5. It's the beginning of that little passage here. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So he comes and he actually takes on human flesh. And how does he do with the requirements that man was given? Man was given one requirement in the garden and he didn't do so well. He, he messed that up. But what about Jesus coming with all of the law and all of the law's requirements? Uh, how did Jesus do with that? Hebrews chapter 10. And verse 7, the author of Hebrews is uh, quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting this about Jesus. These are words that uh, the psalmist has written in the, and the author of Hebrews putting them into Jesus' mouth. And he says, then I said, here am I. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. How well did he do his will? Jesus, you remember in the high priestly prayer, which is found in what chapter? John chapter 17. Very good. Uh, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he's coming to the Lord and he, he's praying. And John 17, verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. 
Everything that God has given Jesus to do, he came and he did. We see it in Hebrews, uh, again, chapter 4, verse 17. Ah. Would you repeat that, please? Hebrews 4, 17. <laughs> ah, well, let's try verse 15 then. Let's see if that'll work a little better for you. Hebrews 4, uh, 15. I'm going to say it again I like that. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was, has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. How well did Jesus accomplish what the Father had for him to do? How well did Jesus come and uh, show forth the image of God? Perfectly. What man was supposed to do in the, in the garden so that, the, uh, so that uh, uh, the whole world would be full of God's glory because the image of God would go throughout the world as his royal priest uh, shining forth his glory to show everyone when Jesus comes. And you remember how many times, uh, I don't have them listed here, but how many times in the book of John, especially, he says, I didn't come to do my will. I, can't, I didn't come to bring glory to myself. I came to bring glory to the Father. And then again, in his high priestly prayer, the John 17, he says, you know what? I came and I have done. I brought glory to you by doing all you required me to do. The reason for the image of God is to bring glory to God in all the earth. Jesus comes and he fulfills that. You remember when I mentioned to you the fact that, uh, um, I, I didn't have time to go into this, but uh, I can tell you where to find it if you're, if you're interested. The, the diameters, the dimensions of the Garden of Eden being pretty much where uh, Israel is today, that little strip of land, that dream. What were they to do? What They were to go from there and, and spread out into all the earth and bring glory to God, right? And to, to spread the glory of God that way. Jesus comes and he fulfills the law of God perfectly. He is the perfect image of God. Now, Acts chapter 1. Where are they located in Acts chapter 1? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, right? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes to them and they say, Is it, are, you going to are you going to restore the, the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he says, it's not for you to know the day and the hour. Um, <clears throat> but I think he does tell them in a way that maybe they didn't, they didn't perceive it right then that he was answering, but I believe he does. Verse 8. Here is the one who has completely uh, fulfilled what it meant to be the image of God, to show forth God's glory into all the earth. And, and listen to this. But you will receive power uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It began in paradise, Garden of Eden. Same geographical location as where Israel is. And it was to spread out into all the earth, taking the glory of God with his, as his image, taking the glory of God into all the earth. 
Here's a creation mandate in Acts 1.8. You are to take me, the true image, the one who perfectly uh, reflects the image of God, the one who is the image of God, the very image of God. You are to take me now into all the earth. It's going to start right here in Jerusalem, but it's going to spread from this and go out into all the earth so that the glory of God is seen in all places. We see it happening still today, don't we? Uh, uh, Jason and Cammy down in South America. Uh, missionaries in India, China, uh, Japan, and, and all over the world. People are taking the image of God, Jesus Christ, the one who is that true image of God, fulfilling the creation mandate, showing the glory of God in all the earth to rule and subdue it. Uh, what an amazing thing that we can connect uh, Jesus and who he is and what he came and accomplished all the way back to the creation mandate, all the way back to the very first chapter of the Bible. Okay, well that's tonight. Give you 20, 20 minutes off. Man. Well, now I always thought that the Garden of Eden uh, was more where the Euphrates River is yeah, I will uh, send you uh, some stuff that you can you'll, you'll be able to see it. I think um, uh, when when they give the dimensions of it, I think it's Genesis chapter two talks about the rivers that are there. Yeah, and uh, uh, God planted a, a garden in the east of Eden. Uh, yeah, starting in verse 10 and so on. Those dimensions, uh, some of the places are, are quite obvious that are there. And uh, when, when I point you to the directions, uh, it's uh, Richard Pratt does it. And he shows you how this is, he even takes a map and puts it on there, you know, colors that shows you how it, it pretty much included the area of, what is present, we would call present day Israel. So, so it's kind of cool to see that. And then to see how, once again, starting from basically the same place and saying, all right, now let's fulfill this mandate we started with and taking the glory of God into all the earth. And we do that by proclaiming the gospel. So. All right. Let me pray.